Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see everybody today. Everyone's having a good day thus far. How could we not with what we just experienced, right? It's awesome. And I'd like just to welcome all of you today. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Crookston and to Pastor Nate and all of our great people in Crookston. Can we do something? Can we give a great shout? Let's let them know that we love them, okay? Woo! All right. We love you guys, uh, and we are, we are just, we talk about this, we're just one church, we have a couple locations, and God's leading us to that, and who knows, maybe more, wouldn't that be fun in the future, I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, we love you guys. Uh, and then everybody just watching online, welcome, it's great having you just join with us today. We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled God's Plan, and in this series of sermons we're looking at sexuality. A couple weeks ago, we talked about gender. We're talking about marriage, family, and roles uh, within the family. Let's be honest, this has been a little bit of a weighty last couple of weeks. Uh, At least, I I have felt it. I I know as we've talked about things, you know, as we've ventured into these areas, there's a lot of voices that are speaking right now in the world, but not all of them speaking from this biblical perspective that we've been looking at these things from. And uh, to be honest, the easy thing would say, let's not talk about that, Let's talk about something different. But I I feel that as a church, to be honest, would really be doing uh, all of you a disservice to not to do that, to to walk away from those subjects. And so in it, my desire is, as we've always talked about, is like, what's the word of God have to say? And let's just, let's look at it in light of scripture. Because I know that in scripture, there's such incredible truth and freedom. So next Sunday, we're going to turn a little bit of a corner. We're going to talk about roles in the family within that. And so uh, next Sunday is also Family Sunday. So all the kids are going to be with us. Pastor Jared's going to be talking about the role of kids. Any of you, any of you a, child, a kid? I mean, not a child, but a kid? You're a child of somebody? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, do you know that honoring your mom and dad doesn't stop when you're 18? And so Pastor Jared's going to be talking a little bit about that. And then in two weeks from today, I am so excited about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about singleness. And uh, so in talking about singleness, sometimes that's a subject that can be avoided in the church. And so I've invited a special guest to join us. Uh, her name is Twyla Coons. And so in two weeks, she's going to be speaking here on singleness and really about just what does it mean to be single. And so I'm really, I'm really excited about that. She's on staff at Trinity Bible College. Uh, and so in it, we're just going to get rolling again today. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, we've been looking at these verses. We're going to continue today. Genesis 2.23 says, after, after uh, Eve had been presented to Adam, Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. As I look at this verse, verse 24 uh, specifically, there are really three important truths regarding marriage that I would like to address. Again, this is going all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. What's interesting about this verse and all is that Jesus quotes from this verse in Matthew 19. We'll talk about that today a little bit. But what's interesting as well is that Paul quotes from this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. 
when I see something, a verse of scripture that's shared three different times, Old Testament, the life of Christ, and then the epistles, I think, man, there's something about this. And all three times it says, wherefore a man shall leave his father and mother, join to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so what's the significance? There's three things. The number, the first thing is this, it's the word leaving, leaving. Therefore, a man shall leave his mom and dad, join to his wife, become one flesh. There's this thought of leaving. What's really interesting, I don't know if you've thought about this, I know some of you have, but what's really interesting is the, this, this command that God gives to Adam and Eve, I want you to leave mom and dad and join to your wife. But the crazy thing about it is, is like, what were the names of Adam and Eve's parents? They had no parents. And so God says, I want you to leave I want you to leave your mom and dad. And Adam's like, I don't got any. This is going to be easy because he was the first man, the first woman. Well, obviously, the, the, you know, in writing this, there was something that was forward-looking. God says, yeah, yeah, it's, it's for those generations to follow. It's going to be really important that you leave mom and dad. To be very honest with you, I can remember one of the most difficult days of my life. And I don't know if this is your experience. This is my experience. Mary and I were 20 years old. We were living in Mesa, Arizona. We had been married for six months. Mary's father, we're living 20 miles from my mom and dad and a family. Uh, Mary's father living in, is a rancher in South Dakota. He called and said, you know, would you guys mind coming, moving to South Dakota and working for me on the cattle ranch? And so we talked about it in our jobs. I mean, we were, we were halfway through our, you know, just our degrees and we're like, yeah, let's do that. And so we were staying in a, a one-bedroom apartment uh, there in, in uh, northern Mesa. And uh, so we loaded everything up into our U-Haul truck, my motorcycle. We got a, a car dolly, and we hooked our, our, our beautiful, terrible Mazda GLC behind our truck and the truck was not a big one and it was half filled because that's all the stuff we had so like where are we going to stay well we'll spend the last night with mom and dad right and so we drove out to their place and got up that morning had some breakfast and then it began we gathered in the driveway my mom's watching right now just so you'll remember this mom so we got gathered in the driveway of the home and my younger brother who I was very close to started crying. Oh, no, don't do this to me. My mom, like, she cries like watching Folgers commercials, so she was crying. So, and then, and then, like, and then, and then my dad starts just breaking down in tears, and I'm like, oh, dad, don't do this to me. And I, Mary and I got in this U-Haul truck and we started taking off to, you know, Northern Arizona to head all the way up to South Dakota, and I was just absolutely sick. I have just killed my family. I mean, I was 20 years old. I, had, I never had an apartment. I never stayed in a dorm. I lived with my mom and dad for 20 years, guys, okay? <laughs> and when I left, I was, I was just, like, sick, and I'm like, I'm so in love with this lady, but like now I'm going to leave my mom and dad and I felt like I was betraying them somehow. But can I tell you something? As I look back, you know, 38 years now, as I look back, I am so thankful for that experience. 
I am so thankful for that experience. Some, some couples say, when we get married, we're going to be just one big family, your parents and our parents and us, and this is going to be great. Can I tell you, that's not God's plan. You can hang out and do stuff together, but God's plan is that you become not one big happy family, but three small happy families. Okay, three small happy families. Bruce Wilkinson, noted author and marriage counselor, has come to this conclusion in all of his years of marriage counseling that the number one reason that that marriage problems can be traced to is because there's been a spouse that has not been able to leave home. Maybe not so much physically, but there is a lot of emotional baggage. There's a lot of emotional uh, 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 bonds that, 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 that affect that relationship. And so God says to Adam, who had no, who had no mom and dad, listen, when you guys get married, you've got to leave mom and dad. What does that look like? Does that, does that mean, all right, we're not going to talk to mom and dad. Sorry, mom and dad, we're not going to talk to you anymore. No. Does that mean you don't go on vacations together? No. You don't go, it doesn't mean that. What it means, quickly, we're going to go through this, it means you leave them physically. We move out of the house. Two or more families living in one house, there can be a challenge, right? Plenty of adult children move back into mom and dad's home, but if if that happens, it should be a mutual agreement. This is only for a season. They leave relationally, okay? Let me just help a little bit. Your mother, okay? My dear young female friends, your mother is no longer your best friend. Okay, nor is your dad. Your father is no longer your best friend. That role is now your spouse's. Your wife's cooking just became the greatest cooking in the whole entire world. Okay, it's absolutely, it just like, it doesn't matter. Your husband became like the handyman par excellence, like greater who can fix anything. I know dad is like a carpenter, but like and all that, like no, no, no. Like this is so important that you honor, like let's get my dad back here. To, no, 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 that's not how it works. Like you can do this, dear. We leave emotionally. When good news happens at work, we call our spouse first. We don't call mom first. We don't call dad first. If we, if we call mom first, we have not left. If we call dad first, we have not left. It's not wrong to ask mom or dad for advice. But in asking mom and dad for advice, first of all, that needs to be a mutual decision. Let's pray about this, honey. Let's, let's, what are we going to do? All right. Let's ask dad. All right. Let's do that. But it's a mutual decision that you make. We leave financially. If mom and dad want to help a couple financially, that's all right. But let me just say this, but for, for as, a, as a young married couple, you have to be extremely cautious about that just to make sure there's no controlling or manipulative strings attached to that financial assistance. It can't be attached to that. that that's not right. That, that's, that's not leaving. And I think... If I can be a little bit honest, okay, one of the biggest mistakes that I can see financially with young couples, and that is that sometimes as young couples, we think we want what mom and dad have. And so what took your mom and dad 30 years to get, we think we should be able to have in just like two years. We, you know what? There's something about walking through those, those times where you're like, like ripping through the couch cushions looking for money so you can go get an ice cream cone. Remember that? I mean, think about the stories. 
think about the stories we're going to be able to tell our grandkids. And I'm practicing. Our kids aren't quite there to like think, but I, I'm thinking we're going to be telling the stories about like the very first, like the very first house we lived in. Let me tell you something, dear Caden, who's our grandson. Let me tell you something. It was just your grandmother and I, and we lived there. And every morning we'd wake up and see our breath, and it didn't matter because we had each other. How am I doing? How am I doing? Is that going to fly? Okay. There's something about that. So carve your own way financially. We leave spiritually. Your faith needs to become your own. Perhaps you didn't have parents that, that had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's, if that's the case and you do, then you've already established this personal walk with the Lord. But maybe your parents had an incredible relationship with the Lord. And I would say, way to go. Thank the Lord. That's awesome. But but the faith of your mom and dad will not be strong enough to help you to weather the storms that are ahead of you. And you will need to have your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and this faith that will bring you through. Part of God's plan for marriage is this. He says, therefore, man and woman, you gotta leave mom and dad. You're gonna have to leave them and then join to your wife. The second thought in this verse is the joining, or I put cleaving. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. There's leaving mom and dad, and then we join. Uh, A lot of biblical translations use the word cleave, which is a very accurate translation. A man shall leave mom and dad and then cleave. There's this leaving and cleaving, leaving and cleaving. To cleave means to hold on and not let go. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in adversity or prosperity, to love and cherish till death do us part. I am yours. I'm not letting go. No matter what, I'm going to stay with you. And just so that you know, in marriage, you will experience challenges and difficulties. All the married people said, Amen. <laughs> So you can expect it. You can expect it. Let me just throw a little side note. If, if the challenge that you're facing is an, an, an abuse of any kind, then you need to talk to somebody. That's not the challenges I'm referring to, some abusive type situation. But to cleave also means to pursue. Isn't this awesome? I mean, like, you look at how God made woman and how God made a man. And then you look back to Genesis, to his very first, these the first directives, and it's, it's amazing. Therefore, a man shall leave mom and dad and shall hold on to and shall pursue his wife. Shall pursue his wife. So often we as men see life as a conquest. Right? That's why we love football. Because we're going to take this thing and we're going to pound it down your throat. We're going to put this thing across the goal line and then like do some like end zone celebration because look, we just conquered, right? That's why we love fast cars because, and NASCAR because my car is faster than your car and I'm going to win this race. That's why we like hunting because like we're going to shoot this big buck and once we do, we're just not happy until we get this thing, like take it to a taxidermist and we can put these antlers up in the living room and everybody can say, wow, look what you did. That's awesome. You conquered that buck. 
We love fast, you know, we could talk about, we love fishing and, and fast computers and all of these things, and that's, that can be very natural. The problem, well, before I get to the problem, let me just say this first. And then this beautiful young lady comes along, and all of a sudden, what happens? We start using deodorant, you know, and we start, <laughs> we start like brushing our teeth because we want to win this young lady, right? We want to win her. And so we do all we can to win this beautiful young lady. And finally, one day, we're like, and we put the ring on, like, She's mine. We got her. Because we just won. We were in this conquest and now we've come out victorious. The problem is that what often can happen because of this desire for conquest, we stop pursuing our wives and now we start pursuing our hobbies. And now trying to prove to whoever, ourselves or whatever, we think now, now we're going to give ourselves to pursuing this occupation or this vocation or pursuing this project. And like sometime later, the wife like, what happened to this man? I mean, he used to be pursuing me and now we stopped. So let me just say to all men, you have to continue, biblically speaking, from Genesis chapter all the way back, it says you need to pursue your wife. How many ladies would like a man that pursues you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, John Eldridge, The Wild at Heart, you, you, go, if you've ever read that book, he says one of the core, core desires of a woman is to be pursued, that God put in them. And so we pursue, we pursue the cleaving, pursuing, holding on to, and I believe that should never, ever stop. I love seeing like older people where this man just is still just in love with his little wife. Isn't that awesome? There's something beautiful about that because although age, uh, time has changed a lot of physical qualities and characteristics, but there's something about this, this emotional tie, something about this, this, this incredible deep love that just goes beyond any you know, physical attraction. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And part of this is found in this leaving, cleaving, to your wife. The third thought is this. It's one flesh. Wherefore a man shall leave his mom and dad, shall cleave to his wife, and then they are to become one flesh. But I think it's really important to notice the progression. This is not an accident. God, as he sets out this, this role in Scripture, this is not just throwing all these characteristics together and seeing what pops out. There's the leaving mom and dad. There's the cleaving to one another. And then there's the one flesh union, speaking of physical, sexual intimacy. The leaving, the cleaving, and the one flesh. And I know, I know you're saying, Pastor, come on. It's like the 21st century. Please, can you not be so antiquated? And I understand the things I'm talking about at this point is, are not all that popular today. But I also know that when God created humanity in men and women and this whole thing of marriage, he was the source, the author, the creator, and he did so with incredible intent and design not to keep us from something, but because he wants to bless you with something. 
and because he loves you. And so this progression, leaving, cleaving, and one flesh. And so why is that so significant? Why is, why is that progression so important? Number one, it's because it's a divine bonding. A divine bonding. Matthew 19, some of the people came to Jesus, some Pharisees, and they said, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce a, a wife for any reason? Is there, can we just divorce like what, is there for any reason at all? And Jesus says, let me tell you, let me just explain about this. He says, verse 4, 19, 4, he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. A direct quote from Genesis 2.24. And then Jesus says in verse 6, so they are no longer two, but they are now what? They are now one. No longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. In marriage, there is something incredibly powerful that takes place. God... God takes two, and in his eyes, he unites them together as one. In wedding, at a wedding, I think about it every wedding that I do. I, I, it, I don't, can't say that I comprehend it, to be honest, but I know I, can, I, I see it, and I know what's happening. In fact, the apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, when he talks about this whole thing of, of, of joining one flesh, he says it's a mystery. It's just a mystery. The depths of this connection, the depths of this one flesh union, it's something that, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't know how it all happens. I, don't, I can't quite see in that realm and that sphere, but there is something that happens when a man stands up and a woman comes together and they pledge their love to one another till death do us part. God says that, you know, like they came in as, as, as the son of, of, of Bob and Sue and, and she comes in the, the, the daughter of like John and Mary. But when they leave, they leave together as like one. They came in as best friends and fiancés, but they leave as one. It's, it's, it's amazing, guys. It's mind-blowing. That's what happens in a wedding ceremony. That's what happens in, in, in a wedding ceremony, in, in, in all of that. And the amazing thing is that up to this point, God has placed, when it comes to sexual intimacy, God, up to this point, up to marriage, God places this red light to say, no, hold off, you need to wait, and we'll talk like why in, in just a moment. Why? But at the marriage time, what happened? The thing switches, and now it's green. And God says, now, Go for it. You know, like, it's okay. And you're like, I've been living in restraint. Like, like wow. And like, like, so, like God says, yes, now be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And God takes this green light and he changes, or this red light and changes it to this green light and says, yes, that's God's plan. And what I have, what, you know, what can happen is that Satan targets this area so much. And so all of us were given, like we're, we're part of who we are, we're physical, emotional, intellectual, social, spiritual, but part of it, like God created us sexual beings too, right? 
And I don't know if there's an area that Satan targets more than that area of our sexuality. And so prior to marriage, the enemy says, hey, it doesn't really matter. Come on, you're in love. And so wanting you to jump into bed together. But can I just tell you something? After marriage, you know what happens? The enemy comes and says, nah, there's too much hurt here. You need to stay out of bed. And I know maybe some young people, you're like, how does that happen? Like, how does that, but, but you know, it, it can be such a, a thing how Satan seeks to bring such division and in marriage, and I, I know that at times with a married couple, there can be physical reasons for abstaining, maybe issues of age, and there may be some other areas. But can I just say, if those things are not a factor in your relationship and, and you're not finding, God says, I want you to be, I want you to be sexually active with your husband and your wife, and you're, if you're unable to, then I think that's something that probably need to begin to pray about and seek what's really going on, because that's God's desire for married couples to be involved in that area. God's plan is to bless your marriage and your relationship. And that occurs as you place him first in your relationship here. And so maybe you're here today, maybe you've you've jumped ahead of God's plan. Maybe you just didn't know. I I, I didn't know. I encourage you, if that's the case, then just say, God, I'm sorry. Man, I didn't quite understand. And you make it right with God. And then I would encourage you to refrain from sexual activity until your wedding night and let that night be incredibly special because of that. There's this divine bonding that takes place. God says, what what man has joined together, let no man separate. What God hath joined together. It wasn't just, isn't that, I mean, again, it's such a mystery. I don't know that I can't, I really understand it. What God, and he just weaves them together, this one flesh. This one flesh. But the second thing, why is it so important, is because in God's eyes, marriage is a covenant and not a contract. Okay? What's a contract? A contract is this. It's made for a limited period of time. I will lease this apartment for 12 months. After that, I am free to do my own thing. Right. That's a contract. A contract deals with specific actions. This is what I can expect. I'm renting this apartment. I expect you to clear the driveways and the sidewalks of snow. I expect you to keep my furnace and air conditioning running in proper you know, uh, uh, condition. Okay? That's a contract. We have these ex- expectations of what you're going to do for me. That's a contract. A contract is based on an if-then kind of mindset. If you do this, then I will do that. And so if you don't do this, then I'm not going to do this thing. Okay? It, 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 in a contract, it's, it's in which it's, we desire to get something from it. In a contract, we become a consumer. Okay? We consume. I want, I want, I'm in a contract with the cell, like at a cell phones. And so this is what I want you to provide for me. This is about me. Okay? I want you to provide this for me. I'm renting this apartment, so I'll sign this contract. This is what I expect you to do for me. That's a contract. A contract is for our benefit. But that's not marriage. Marriage is not a contractual agreement. God never intended marriage to be a contractual agreement. Rather, and unfortunately many people see it that way, rather what God talks about, that marriage is a covenant. And we don't use that word. What's a covenant? A covenant is for an unlimited amount of time till death do us part. 
from here to the last breath I breathe, we're going to stay married till death do us part. A covenant focuses on unconditional promises rather than specific actions. So it's on unconditional promises for better, for worse, in rich or poor, in adversity or prosperity, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish. I'm yours. It doesn't matter. The conditions don't matter. I'm loving you unconditionally. It's not for for our benefit, but a covenant is actually for the benefit of other people. It's for the benefit of other people. It's not about consumerism. What can I get from you? It's rather like, what can I give to you? That's a covenant. That's what, it's, that's what it's about. A covenant is something that when God, God made a covenant with Noah, he made this covenant with Noah and says, I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. And then he gave a token of the covenant. And what was the token of, the, of, of that covenant? A rainbow. He says, I will make a token of this covenant that you put this covenant, this rainbow in the sky. And every time you look at this, it is a promise of this Noah covenant that, that God made with Noah. I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. And so when we enter into a marriage covenant, what do we do? We say, let's do this. Let's set aside a ring. It's not just something we put on our hand, like just to wear and like, whoa. Where it's like, look at that huge rock she's wearing. You know, wow, that's amazing. Like to wow all our friends. But what it is, it's a token of the covenant. Saying, I'm under covenant. I'm under covenant with that lady on that front row. That's who I'm under covenant. I'm, I'm not just free. I'm, I'm, I'm under covenant, a godly covenant with her. That's, 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 that's what the ring represents, this covenant. And I think that we have to understand this covenantial thought and this thinking. And let me just say this, first of all, that, that as you read through Scripture, there's the Abrahamic covenant, there's the Davidic covenant, there's the Noah covenant, there's different covenants. But one of the covenants that, that, that God made with us was through His Son, Jesus, that I will never leave you. I'll always be with you. In fact, I'll send my son. He sent his son Jesus to come to us and we'll, we'll partake of the, that celebration in just a few moments as we take communion together. But it's all about this covenant, this eternal covenant that's not limited to time. No matter what you do, I'm going to love you, Jesus says. No matter where you go, I'm going to be with you. I want you to know I love you. I'm so committed to you. I am so committed to you. And the cross is the token of that covenant to realize that that's how much he loves us. And so when we put it all together, we put it all together, that boyfriend that you have or that girlfriend that you have is not yours. Ultimately, they're God's. Right? Mary and I, in 38 years, ultimately, she's been my wife a long time, but can I tell you something? Ultimately, she's God's daughter because she's in a covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. She's in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you say, well, the person I'm, you know, dating, going with, engaged, they're not... and let me back up, not, I'm not talking about the marriage here, but if they're saying, well, they're not in a covenant with God, well, that's a whole other sermon about being unequally yoked. Because you want, you want to marry someone that's in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. 
okay? Because then you're looking and you're going the same direction. It's imperative, it's so important that you marry someone that's in that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. But we have to understand that that, that, that young man, that young lady, they are not our possession. That's actually God's possession. God created them. God made them. God brought them to the place where they're at today. That's God's daughter. And that young lady, young man that you will marry one day, can I just say, she's not yours. That's God's daughter. And God's desire is this. Before you enter into a one flesh union with that beautiful young lady, I want you, first of all, together, together, you and your, your fiancé, to enter into this covenant of marriage. And only after this covenant of marriage, then, then, then you have my blessing to go and enter into this sexual one flesh union with her. But there's this, there's this progression. There's progression. We can't take... We can't take sexual pleasure in one of God's daughters until first we commit to a covenant relationship with her. We can't do it, guys. We cannot do that. We can't say, God, I know you're going to make us one flesh maybe three years from now, but until then, God, I'm going to enter into this one flesh union because I'm going to take, and you just sit right here, but God, because, uh, man, I, I'm just caught up in this night of passion, and so this is, no, can I tell you something? No, 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 that's not how it works. God wants to bless your relationship. He wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless you in that area, and that happens through obedience and through obedience. And there are so many, as I've been going through this, I told Mary yesterday, I said, honey, I haven't even got into Hebrews that, you know, that talks about like honoring the marriage bed, which is an incredible deep thought that, that he talks about. I haven't even got into 1 Corinthians 6 that talks about uh, like what happens when we join ourselves sexually to another person. I mean, there's such, uh, that will guess will be a, a sermon series for the future. But we could talk about so many areas, but the whole purpose of life is to like, I want to bring honor to God. I want to reflect his beauty and his purity, not just in my life, or not just like my personal life, but God, I want to reflect that just in in our dating relationship and in our marriage and Father, in every area of our life. And for Mary and me, again, I feel I could go on a long time, but just going to wrap it up right here. It's our desire that you would walk in and discover the beauty of God's plan for your life in this area. So amazing, so powerful. In fact, the band, you want to come? Mary, would you just come and just, uh, I've asked Mary to share just a little bit uh, on this subject as well today. So she's going to come and just share for, for just a few moments today. first, I don't know, this is our fourth Sunday? Am Third. I right? Third Sunday, okay. In this sermon series, you can play, honey. You guys can begin to play. Um, and when I, we've talked, 
we talked quite a bit about this series before it even began as a staff. And from the very beginning of all of this and knowing where we're going, my heart has been one thing. My heart has just been, God, would you just bring healing to every heart that hears these messages? Because this is such a, it's a big subject we've been talking about. And I, I would dare say maybe 100% of us have missed it at some point in some of these areas we're talking about. And not only that, the culture we live in speaks completely different than what God's word is telling us. And so all of you young people and young adults, you're growing up in a culture that doesn't tell you at all what God's word is telling you. And trying to sort through all that and find your way through all that is just almost sometimes might seem impossible. But I just I just want to say this morning that God, he's here to bring healing in our hearts. You know, I think about Nathan's been going through the book of Gen, that first little part of Genesis. And he talked, he began about, this is all going to be God's perspective. We're going to look at Genesis and get God's perspective on our identity. We were created in God's image. Our gender, it's a gift from God. It's not a mistake when he made you a male or a female. Um, God's plan for marriage, one man and one woman joined together. And he's talked more about that today. And the beauty there is in diversity. And that all of it, all of this is for the glory of God. You know, and in all of that, I've just, I've been asking God through all of this series before it ever began, God, what is your heart in all of this, God? What are you wanting to say, Lord? And and I've, I've been trying to picture our Jesus that we worship, but he's not really here physically. Maybe some of you have seen him physically. I've never seen him physically in a dream or vision. I know that can happen, but I've tried to just imagine if Jesus was walking the earth today and he encountered people in our world today, what his response would be. And I really believe it would be very similar to what we read about Jesus in the book of John, uh, John chapter 8, 2 through 11. And I'm just going to read that real quick. I think it'll be just as quick as telling the story. So here's the story that happened. It's not a parable, but an actual account. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him or Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any of you here... If any of you here is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And I just want to stop real quick and just briefly say, if any of us have ever picked up a stone of accusation against someone in some area, 
I just want to say it's really time to put the stone down. Just put that stone down. Because the minute we pick that stone up to throw it, we have become a hypocrite because we have missed it. Every one of us has sinned in this room. Every one of us has missed it. And I would dare say most of us have missed it in the areas we've been addressing. So just lay that stone down and walk away. That is not our place. Again, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. said neither do I condemn you and I just want to say to you this morning is if you've been listening to these sermons and and you have regrets or pain in your heart from past mistakes or failures or choices I just want you to know that Jesus is looking at you right now with love and compassion. He's not shaming you. He's not condemning you. Instead, he is silencing your accusers. And forgiveness flows freely. God's heart for you today is to fully restore. Not just a little bit, like, okay, let's just put that behind you and I guess you'll have second best now. I don't believe that. God's heart is to fully restore. And when Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. I just want you to know this morning that that is what Jesus says to you right now in this place. He looks at you and he says, I do not condemn you. The same thing he said to that woman. He is speaking this morning to all of us. Hear what he is saying and know it's for you this morning. And his heart, I believe, as we finish this service today and take communion, is just for healing to begin to flow in places maybe you've never let healing flow before. Maybe places you've kept hidden or you don't, you've never told anybody or any anything. I just want to encourage you to let Jesus come this morning and let the healing flow. And the next words he said after, neither do I condemn you. They're just as beautiful and life-giving. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. He did not leave that lady stuck in her sin because adultery is painful. It hurts, it wounds. He didn't leave her stuck in sin. Sin is death. When we engage in sin, it brings death to us. Maybe not physical death immediately, but there's a death in our soul. And God's desire is that we will have life, abundant life, full of joy, full of peace. And he knows the way for that. And it's for us to walk away from sin and begin to follow his way for us. And so this morning, I just really believe God's, he's just speaking healing over us and he's calling us to a life of just living in joy like we never have before. And, 
that as we take communion, I just want to encourage you to begin to let the healing flow. And if there's an area God is just saying, leave, leave that life of sin, just say yes. It's going to be the greatest decision you make to begin to follow the Lord. Amen. 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 That's God's heart, guys, isn't it? That's his heart. He loves us. He loves us today. Oftentimes when we take communion, we do it with some theme. Sometimes it's healing. Sometimes maybe the second coming. Maybe it would be about, I don't know, so many different areas. And as we take communion today, what I believe is just really spend time just thinking about this, praying about this. I believe a couple things. I believe what God wants to do is really bring freedom. I believe he wants to just cleanse us. I believe he wants to bring restitution. Maybe you look back in your life and there's just, there's regrets that you have. Maybe in decisions that you made or maybe decisions you did not make, but maybe with other people's decisions and what, how that affected you. And so today as we take communion, it's going to be the cup, it's going to be the bread, and together as we do it, I say, God, thank you, God, you're bringing forgiveness, oh God. And then Mary's going to pray something in the area of healing. And God, you're going to bring healing in this area. These are weighty subjects. I understand that. And so what we want to do, we're going to just distribute the communion elements. Uh, they're the, the disposable kind. And so when you get them, you may want to start. There's a cellophane top. Where you, it, it will expose the bread. And then there's another one where it will expose the cup uh, to be able to do that. And you can just, just hold on to it. We'll all participate together. Uh, if you, you know, are gluten intolerant, we do have that as an option. And uh, the, the men and the women will help you to get one of those cups into your hands as well. Uh, and you say, well, I'm not a part of this church. You don't have to be a part of this church. I would just encourage you to make a decision to follow Jesus and to establish this covenant relationship with him today. That just means saying, God, come into my heart, God. I want to live for you, God. I don't want to do my own thing anymore. I want to live for you and honor you. And, and he'll do that. So let's just, let's just take a moment. Father, we just come to you today. And Father, as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, we do so in, in just in thought of your heart that's for us today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.